Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. From a snowy and beautiful Nashville, Tennessee, Music City, we say welcome. Outkick 360 is out of the gates and ready to go. From 6th and Peabody, alongside uh, Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. We are ready to go today with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine from downtown Nashville and filled with plenty to discuss Antonio Brown and the Bucks officially part ways this morning. We have the details on that. We have details uh, on all things NFL Week 18 and much, much more. Plus, a great preview of Alabama and Georgia headed your way in about 20 minutes with Trey Wallace of Outkick.com. Armando Salguero is on today's show. We'll talk NFL headlines with him from Outkick. And then Outkick's Dan Dockich in the third hour. No kidding, from the side of a road. Yeah, perfect. Stranded Dan Dockich will join us uh, coming up at 420 Central Time. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Look, you do what you got to do, boys. If you got to do the show from the side of the road, you do it. Um, Rain, (laughs) freezing rain, sleet, snow, whatever it may be, not going to stop Outkick 360 from doing a show. And we are here with you, and we were thrilled about it. Uh, Sixth and Peabody closed, much like uh, all of Middle Tennessee today. But we are open for business for the next three hours, and we're pumped to be here. We're like postmen. I do feel a little guilty because the authorities say don't go out unless it's an emergency, and we we uh, we violated that. Um, you don't we, think we, this shows an emergency well, for yeah, for mean, our listeners? I think we're pretty damn important, but I don't know that we qualify as uh, as emergent. I will say the Outkick Radio Network is damn important to me, and that's why I'm here doing the show. I, that's I, why I, we I have to do it. I didn't say it's not damn important, but it does not qualify as an emergency. So, well, we're here. Uh, it would be if we weren't here, we wouldn't be on the air. David Reed has to be here. David Reed would be very upset with us if he had to show up and produce the show and yes. host it at the same time. Um, it's good to be here. It is eerie, uh, always in a downtown on a very snowy day. I know you guys went out. Uh, as I arrived, you were out trying to find some food. It's always weird. The one place that decides to stay open, it gets all of the people who are looking for food as all of the other places are, are closed. Um, so you had a good meal. So I commend you on having found we the found one it. place that, we found that it. is open. We, um, uh, Chad and I went to one spot that was closed and then, we could smell food, so we knew we knew someplace was open. Just followed your noses. Yeah, and there are plenty of people out and about uh, on the interstates uh, on the way in today, trying to get to Nashville and trying to get to work or get to a hotel room and hunker down. See, I, I got here um, before the snow hit. I was here for about ten minutes. Then the snow hit downtown Nashville right after I arrived, and it was a light traffic day coming in at that time in the seven a.m. hour. Uh, but uh, downtown is a ghost town when you walk around there's not many people out and about at all so i guess the good news is paul uh but because you know non-essential workers essential workers if you were to try to drive home today you might be alone on the road you could have the entire interstate to yourself 
as you drive back. Yeah, the thing of it is, as we know here, the worst of it comes later because they don't do a good job clearing stuff and then uh, pack down snow from being driven on freezes and then people are really uh, not good at that here. Um, <clears throat> I tried to go for father of the year points last night, guys. My uh, kid has outgrown anything he had that was close to uh, appropriate sledding gear. Now, I came up short of a sled or, uh, you know, the things that guys uh, his age slide down hills on. But I knew that he would have support from his brethren in that department. But he doesn't have anything to wear in this situation. Nothing waterproof of any variety, right? And so I decided <clears throat> I'm going to stop and see what I could get. And I made several stops and was heroic. And I was sending him pictures of stuff. And I was getting, much to my uh, surprise, thumbs up. Yes, I need that. Yes, get me that, please. I got him a jacket. Got him uh, remarkably snow pants that a woman was walking back from, like, returns and had four pair of snow pants. And two of us converged on her. And I said, I'll, I'll look at whatever that woman doesn't take. And there was a pair of large in, like, light blue. And I sent it to him thinking he'd say, I would never wear those in a million years. And he said, I'll take them. <laughs> he knew like i'm getting myself in position to spend all day tomorrow out maybe on, he just likes that color out on that hill <laughs> so i said do you have long johns and he said i can't even remember what he said but i he he was not getting what, what I was are saying. long johns yeah he doesn't know what long johns are so I, he was the communication was so poor i said do you have long underwear? And he still not was getting it was not getting it to the point, boys, that he sent me a photo of his upper thigh with his boxer briefs and how long they came down on his knee. He was saying yes, he had long underwear. The underwear to him was long. It yeah. came down pretty long Longer on his than normal. upper thigh. It's very logical of him to respond that way. I mean, that's that's a logical answer if you don't know what Long John's well, are, Well, I mean, right? we had a funny conversation about it when I got home, and we talked through of it, all of it, and it was clear to me what he did and did not understand. But when I was at my fourth stop trying to gather things for him, you can imagine I was on the verge of losing it. I was like, Simon, underwear that comes down to your ankle. What and has he, he worn like, in the past? He calls them tights. Oh. So, right, he would <laughs> occasionally would wear tights under shorts for a soccer game or to school. That was the extent of pants that kids his age wore. He, now he wears shorts and sweatshirts is all he wears, right? So long underwear, he had, he had no idea. Then I asked him about, like, a long underwear top. It was, it was nightmarish communication. It was very funny. I said, do you have a long underwear top? And he said, uh, yes. And I said, do you know what that is? And he said, no. <laughs> so, since we're talking about snow days and kids and, and reminiscing, the one downfall of the snow day to me is that it takes so long to get to a comfortable temperature, one way or the other. You're outside, you get really cold, it's fun, you get cold and wet, you come inside, you're cold at first, and you quickly get too hot. Yeah. The house is well, too you warm, you chocolate. have long johns, the, the thought of long johns makes me sweat, because I think about being in long johns after five minutes inside, even with the coat off. You start to get hot already, and you want to go back outside. Then you're freezing again immediately. Then you go inside, and you're quickly hot. It takes almost until that evening when you've been inside for two hours to feel like you're at a normal, at normal temperature. temperature. It's interesting. And you're not too hot or too cold. I agree with that entirely. It's interesting to me the use of the word Johns. you got a Porta John. you got a Long John. 
It's used in a lot of different circumstances. It's very flexible. It really work. is. Well, it comes from John Doe. I mean, it's just very easy to John. understand. John Doe. You got John everything. It's just a random name. I guess a very Does that frequent make you name. feel better about the name Chad? No. Chad is <laughs> shouldn't. How about a long chat? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Porta chat. Chad is like the Walmart <laughs> version of John, is the way I'd look at it. It's Walmart John. I got, boots. I got boots at Walmart. Oh, I'm sorry. That's actually Ricky. Ricky, there you the go. Ricky is Walmart John. So the other thing in my, I'll, I'll just keep going on this. The other thing in my neighborhood, some 14 year old girl, I'm estimating age here, got like a souped up golf cart. Now, this sickens me that this child cannot walk or bike around the neighborhood like everyone else. And so she's good friends with a girl across the street. So there's regularly a golf cart traversing my street to pick up her friend. And I just think this is the most pathetic gift necessity thing ever. I mean, look, I, I admit I live in a neighborhood where something like this is possible. So I'm part of the problem, I guess. But I would never give my kid a golf cart. He goes out and walks around with his friends or bikes around with his friends. And, I mean, I'm not overly cautious, but there have been several incidents of kids crashing golf carts into, like, stone mailboxes and breaking their necks. Yeah, I that, don't want kids I, I remember who aren't a story about to that drive, in the mid-state, I feel like, that someone was seriously injured or killed, killed in a golf cart accident. So we had a golf cart on my uh, property growing up, but... The, the land like I grew up on, it was like a sort of like a hacienda. Like it was my house, my grandparents next door, my sister and her husband lived two houses down, and there was land like in between us. We, my grandfather eventually sold the land in between us, another family moved in, but we're all on the same big piece of land. So we had a golf cart that my grandfather got when I was probably 11 or 12 years old just to go to the, the garden and back, right. you know, or wherever we needed to go around the, the property. And so I always grew up with a golf cart. I, I find it hard to hurt yourself on this golf cart. This thing wasn't going that fast around the property, so you have to really be doing some damage and take the governor off of the golf cart to, to, to hurt yourself with it. Here's the issue I see with golf carts in neighborhoods, Paul. There are neighborhoods that are golf cart neighborhoods. Every house has a yeah, golf cart, and they go from house to house and have these little parties. There are other neighborhoods that want to be a golf cart neighborhood that someone's forcing it. I see it in a number of places where someone buys the golf cart that's probably up in your neighborhood, where they're trying to then make their neighborhood a golf cart neighborhood when, in fact, it is not. There are you a can't, couple. You can't force it. You there cannot are a force couple, it. but I don't think it's for kids. I, I, like, I think if you have a license to drive, you have a license to drive. I'm uncomfortable with people who don't have licenses to drive mixing with cars on the street. That doesn't bother me as much as uh, just being pretentious enough to try to that turn too. your neighborhood into Fripp Island, that, uh, that South too. Carolina, <laughs> where you can't have a car on the island. It's all golf carts. Take that and then pair it with the pretentiousness of a 14-year-old having a damn golf cart. Yeah. There was like utility about the golf around. cart that we had growing up, and we were not rich. Oh, they're not taking we a fine. shovel down the dad right, in the but garden. We would, we would play. We played golf cart dodgeball around our yard. Someone got in the golf cart, and you're trying to maneuver around things and go between trees while someone's trying to peg you with a dodgeball. That was a game we played on our property. Yeah, it was yard's a lot of fun. not big enough for the golf cart. Yeah, there's also no other cars around as we're doing it. This was all on grass. We're driving the this golf, golf cart This golf cart is mostly purple, by the way, if you want. Oh, that's a very rare, very rare find there. Yeah. 
I grew up with tractors. Yeah, four-wheelers. Four-wheelers, gators. I mean, the golf cart was the tamest thing I could have Right, but it's mostly on your property, like on a farm. Yeah, but I could could take it on the two-lane road that we grew up on to go to the other farm, which is, you know, half a mile down the road. Well, here, I will say this, though. You, Hutton, growing up on a farm are perfectly capable of driving a four-wheeler on a road or any ATV or gator. I don't trust the 14-year-old girl in Brentwood (laughs) to drive it on a road with cars. You're a different species. No offense to 14-year-old girls everywhere, but I think the way we grew up, and especially you growing up on a farm with those things your whole life, uh, I'm up in Nebraska, and again, this isn't about 14-year-old girls. My 14-year-old niece in Nebraska is on a cattle drive while I'm up there on an ATV behind the cows. Got a great picture of it with her behind That's them, awesome. behind the cows on a road. She's fine. You know, she could drive their car if needed in a pinch and be fine. This girl's not. I don't trust cows. just random suburban teenage girls with golf carts and neighborhoods with cars around. I don't like it one bit. It's the new rage. I don't blame. Instead you. of Sweet Sixteen, the Sweet Fourteen golf cart. Yes. I'm estimating age. Could be 13. <laughs> have Simon find out for us and report back. For some at 13, you have a confirmation or a bat mitzvah. Yeah. And then at 14, you get your golf cart. <laughs> it's a rite of passage for all girls in the suburbs. Trey Wallace is about to join us. First, though, the, the news from Tampa Bay where they have finally released uh, Antonio Brown uh, from their roster. Uh, and what over the last... 12 to 24 hours has been a swirl of news and information, first from him with a statement released through uh, his lawyer. Uh, and then he's on a podcast with Josina Anderson. Adam Schefter is then reporting things from Tampa Bay's side and how they view things, all stemming back to the ankle injury and whether or not he was forced to play injured, as he put it, or if Tampa even knew about the way he was feeling, which is what Schefter is saying. The Buccaneers made what they call a, call a, quote, reasonable accommodation to bring this matter to a close early this week if, in fact, Antonio Brown had an injury from the game and the wide receiver declined to cooperate. That according to Jason Light. And Brown did not tell anyone on the Bucks' medical staff about his ankle bothering him on game day before the game against the Jets or during it per Jason Light. Now, this contradicts what Antonio Brown has said or has said through his lawyer, which is they knew about the ankle injury. Arians tried to put him back in. He was complaining about the ankle injury, and then Arians said, you're out. And he took that personally. And then there's the report of last week, where last week he and his agent were trying to get the guarantees in his contract fully guaranteed, uh, the remaining guarantees, up to $2 million. Ian Rappaport said they were trying to get at least a million dollars of that guaranteed, and... Schefter put out today that it was $2 million in, in incentives of his contract. This is for beyond this for year? For the season. No, for the season. He was, he was close over the course of the final two weeks. He needed, I want to say it was like five to seven, maybe ten catches to reach a certain clause oh, in his yeah, contract. Oh, yeah, I saw this. There were three different things. He was 55 yards away from one of yeah, them. Yeah, there were 330 Three. They were all 333,000. Yeah. And it was like eight catches, 54 yards, and maybe a couple touchdowns or something like which that. Which going into all the achievable week, with two Going into left. the week, he wanted the, the incentives guaranteed and the Bucks declined, which that insinuates, and I'm reading into this, that insinuates that he was going to bow out with the ankle injury and have ankle surgery. And he wanted the 
the guarantees in that the, the clause enacted so they didn't have to continue to play. Yeah, it's it's um, immediately people thought, boy, this guy this guy must be nuts because he's walking away from this money and he's so close to getting it. With the ankle stuff, then you start to say he physically knew he couldn't even get 55 more yards if you're buying his story. But, but he had three he catches in the game. Yes, but if you can't get those five catches, times. that's what the incentives are set up for. Right. If you're hurt and can't play, right. you can't reach the incentives. Therefore, you don't earn the money. Therefore, I'm protected from paying you this extra million dollars. No, it doesn't. You it, come to me and say, I want the million dollars because I'm hurt and I can't reach the incentives. I mean, that's the whole setup. And, and it doesn't. It, it it doesn't wipe away what he did, which is just ridiculous. And the way he stormed off and, and ran off, he he was running, jogging off through the end zone there on the field. So it's very much a um, he said he said thing. And I yeah. don't like the way Arians has behaved through this, but I'm going to believe the people who are talking in the moment instead of the people who go and consult with their lawyer and have a statement written up three days later. Right, and and I could tell you just from and and anyone I think in the league would tell you. If you were active on game day, you were assumed healthy enough to play, yeah. period. And Aaron said that get, today. He said he was at the walkthrough on Saturday, and there was no discussion of it. And if you if you get injured during the game, the, the trainers assess you. And you know, tell you, the coach. It, it, then they tell the coach what they recommend doing. If they're shutting you down, if they're not, if you're questionable, whatever it might be. And He presumes you're available until he's told – you're not available. And then there's a there's the thing about the they're saying that the Bucks are there's a cover up with the ankle injury that they gave him. He didn't say tore it all, but they gave him a tore it all shot prior to the game. Um, there's a lot of details here, and that goes back to what took so long for them to make a roster move because all this was going on underneath the surface. Look, and ultimately, this is a bomb at the end that goes right. off that you get when you sign Antonio Brown. When does it end well with Antonio Brown? It doesn't. This is what you get. So this is the payoff. You won the Super Bowl with him. He served you well for X amount of time. And at the end, you get a huge headache and a M80 going off in your in your locker room, on your roster, whatever. We is will, it going to be worth the trade-off? It's already probably worth the trade-off, right? Maybe not on this year's roster, but certainly on last year. The, the story is completely believable if it's from a different source. Yes. When it's Antonio Brown and his history, no benefit it, it's less believable. But also, he does have Bruce Arians caught in a lie. Bruce Arians said, he was asked specifically, did you know anything about an ankle injury? And he said, no, I, no, no knowledge of an injury. And he is producing a text that Bruce Arians responded to about the ankle with a picture of the ankle and the problem he's having with it the night before. And he said, let's talk soon on the phone. And then they talked on the phone at some point. But there's no way to interpret the text that he shares as anything other than Bruce Arians knew that at least Antonio Brown was saying he had an ankle injury. Yeah, Bruce Arians. And then he later said after he was, the game he didn't know. Well, he was on the injury report. Yeah. That, so, I mean, he, he, yeah, knowing about the ankle is, is parsing words here. I mean, he went into the week hurt. Right. He was on the injury report. Bruce the Bucks Arians released that. swaggerish, you know, no nonsense thing is is cute to a degree, and then at a certain point it becomes annoying. And then if you listen to the tenor of the reporters talking to him, they're very, I think, too deferential with with Bruce Arians. There's not a lot of pushback. Like, hey, you're contradicting yourself here, Bruce. What about this? You know, it's more like, um, to be clear, you said, uh, I know a couple of the voices in that, and uh, a lot of ass kissing going on. 
Arian said, we called for the personnel group that had he had played in for the entire game. He refused to go in the game. That's when I looked back and saw him basically wave off the coach. I then went back, approached him about what was going on. Arian said, Brown said, quote, I ain't playing. And Arian said he asked, what's going on? And he said, Brown responded with, I ain't getting the ball, which is also false. I'm, 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 and now in, I'm inserting this on my own. He was targeted five times. And he had three catches prior to him storming off the That's field. That's pretty good ball distribution in sure, your favor. Sure, sure. Uh, and then uh, he goes on to say, that's when Arians is talking here. That's when I said, you're done. Get the F out of here. And then he did. And Antonio Brown, <laughs> Antonio Brown accused him of a throat-slashing gesture as if that's some huge, horrible offense from a coach to a player in a sideline thing. And Arians said... Is this a throat flash, uh, slashing gesture? Like, get out. Like, get the F out, a pointing away, which I guess there could be some misconstrued things there. Who, well, but even him, if he gave knows? him a throat slashing gesture, like, I'm done with you, that's not some crime against mankind on an NFL sideline no. in the heat of battle. I don't care about that. No. Coming Stop up, it. Trey Wallace of Outkick joins us. We'll switch gears and preview the national championship game from Indianapolis. Uh, Trey is there covering the game for OutKick.com. Alabama and Georgia, we preview the matchup next on OutKick 360. First, though, Aurora Nutriscience and VitaLifeScience.com is the website for all of your vitamin and supplement needs. I love them uh, and, and all the work that they do because they supply you with the best supplements that will stay in your body. You're not going to waste these like a capsule or a pill. VitaLifeScience.com. Vitamin C, vitamin D3, glutathione, those are the supplements I personally use, but there are uh, tens of these, uh, uh, 13, 14 on the screen, and more on the website at vitalifescience.com. Most typical uh, pills, capsules, only absorbed uh, in small, very small amounts after you take them. But with Aurora, these will stay in your body instead of wasting uh, the supplements and vitamins that you're taking, that you're ingesting. Visit VitalLifeScience.com for more information. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360 at VitalLifeScience.com. Props to David Reed, the chairman of the board. Welcome back to OutKick360, 6th and Peabody, downtown Nashville. With the snowy conditions and the weather situation, Reed is literally chairman of the board and chairman of all things switching. video switching, which is why if you're viewing the show today, you'll see us come back a little bit later than uh, normal from the screen as we bring it in yeah. and out of break with yeah. the live shots and different things here in studio. And we welcome those across the OutKick network, uh, radio-wise as well. If you're out and about sledding, if you're... Uh, Maybe on the four-wheeler, maybe on the golf cart. Who knows? If you're out and about, uh, send us a tweet, send us a photo. At OutKick360 is how you can do that throughout the day. We say hello to Trey Wallace of OutKick.com, SEC writer and columnist for the site. And he is on the road uh, in Indianapolis covering the national championship game, Alabama and Georgia, this Monday night for the title. Trey? Happy New Year to you. Good to see you. And uh, you left the Tennessee area just in time because you'd be snowed in right now. No, it, it was actually bad. Like, oh, was I it? got out of Knoxville. <laughs> oh, oh, no, it was bad. I mean, I, I thought I got out of Knoxville at 8 o'clock this morning 
and I thought I would beat the snow until I got to Lexington and until a truck decided it was oh. snowing, by the way, pretty bad. A truck decided to veer in my lane and I spun around twice on the interstate. Oh, so wow. uh, it was it was a trippy morning, uh, but we're here. We're safe. We're we're in Indianapolis is what it is. Nothing. No harm. No foul. Whatever. So. Uh, ready to cover some college football. We're happy that you're here with us. Yes. Yeah. yes. Very big. What do you think, if anything, Alabama might have learned from watching Georgia rough up Michigan or Georgia might have learned from watching Alabama rough up Cincinnati? I think I think the biggest thing, Paul, would be Georgia needing to get home against Bryce Young. Uh, Dan Landing talked about it a lot, you know, dialing up pressures, being able to finish the play, I think that's the key thing for me. Um, with with Georgia's defensive line, uh, with with you know Jordan Davis up front, uh, you got Nicobe Dean coming from behind him. I, I think the and you saw this with with Cincinnati, like they brought multiple blitzes against Alabama. They just couldn't get Bryce Young on the ground, so Bryce Young made him pay for it. I, I think the biggest takeaway for me is. You know, you you look what Alabama is vulnerable at on offense when it comes to multiple blitzes coming at them. And then you look what Georgia did on defense against Michigan, holding them to a season-low 95 yards rushing. Um, they weren't able to get anything going on offense with Kay McNamara. I thought the Georgia defensive line played well. So when you look at this, and I think the biggest thing that we take away, even from the game back in Atlanta, is – there were a lot of times where Bryce Young was having a scramble out of the pocket, but Georgia could just not finish the play. So I, I think what you're going to see multiple guys coming from both ends of the defense here for Georgia, and I think that's what you have to take away from their game against Cincinnati um, because there's not much else. I mean, Alabama ran the football. They knew they were going to be able to. I think for Georgia, the biggest takeaway was for that Michigan game, hey, we got our confidence back on defense. What's crazy to me about the two semifinal games from a game plan perspective, Trey, and we know the game plans for both teams will be different going into this game on Monday, but they both took their perceived weaknesses and they flexed them against inferior opponents. Alabama, bad running team this year for Alabama standards. Brian Robinson, underwhelming year. Let's give Brian Robinson the rock a bunch and get, let him have a career day against Cincinnati. Stetson Bennett's the big question mark for Georgia. Let's put the ball in Stetson Bennett's hand and run the ball only 13 times for the first three quarters, and let's destroy Michigan through the air with Stetson Bennett. I know it'll be different on Monday night, but to me that's the most impressive part about this game is both teams heard the noise about what they're not good at, and they said, okay, we'll just do that thing against these two teams in a national semi. Well, here's what I'm interested in. Are they going to do it right across the street at Lucas Oil Stadium on yep. Monday? Because, but to, because to me, you know, Georgia only ran the ball 18 times against Alabama and Atlanta in the SEC title game. You look what Alabama did against Cincinnati. They just came out and ran the football. They didn't care about passing it. They didn't have to. They caught them deep a couple times, but they didn't have to. You know, you, you look at Georgia, Georgia really didn't have to run the ball either against Michigan. Uh, you, they, they, a lot of times, if you go back and watch it, they found James Cook out of the backfield or down the field, you know, that, that led to over his hundred yards total offense. So really when you, you, you take a step back and you realize, okay, these two teams run the ball really well against opponents, not named Alabama or Georgia, 
So I'm interested to see, okay, which team tries the most or the hardest to do it on Monday night in rushing the football. Because I, I agree with you. When you when you don't have to do it, when you got Stetson Bennett that comes out, throws for 300 plus yards to get out to that huge lead. You know, in the second half, yeah, they were trying to run some clock. Um, but you look at what Alabama did, they never really got away from Cincinnati. Even though I think the game was over, they never really technically got away from them until the fourth quarter. But all they did was run the ball with Brian Robinson. So I am very interested to see which team actually sacks up and says, okay, we're going to try to do this on Monday night, and we're not going to go back to the game plan we had in Atlanta where both teams just passed the football around. Trey, you wrote it out, Kick, about how big this game is for perception for Kirby Smart against Nick Saban. Explain what you mean by that and just how critical this is for, for not Georgia's program overall, but for Kirby Smart individually against his former mentor. I think the biggest thing, Chad, is, you know, you look back at the lead up of the, the SEC title game. You know, it was all about pupil versus the teacher. It was all about can can Kirby Smart finally beat Nick Saban? Okay, well, it doesn't happen. We're going on now. This is the fifth meeting between the two. And it it feels like we're at that point. And this is also key, too. Georgia's had teams in the past four years, five years, that should have won a national championship. They've had the talent. But the fact that they haven't been able to finish that, it, it kind of leads me to worry about Kirby Smart finally taking care of business and winning that big game that, that we're talking about. And that needs to be a championship. I know what they did against Michigan. But this game right here against Nick Saban, you've got this monkey on your back. And, and, and Saban's always going to be there until you beat him finally. You know, I, I put it in my article. Kirby Smart is like the guy with all the other, you know all the other championship belts, you know, besides the big one, besides the heavyweight championship. And I think when you look at the matchup on Monday night and how this thing tries to play out, because you know, we don't need to look at the Kirby versus Saban thing is going to get interesting over the next three days in a lead up to this. But right now, looking at both of these teams, Kirby Smart, talent-wise, should be able to beat Alabama on Monday. They had the talent on defense. They've got the talent on offense. To me, they are a better football team. But it's all about actually putting it together and winning the game. And I think if you go through another offseason, and you know what's going to happen. Monday night, if Kirby Smart does not beat Nick Saban and they lose by 14 points, the questions are going to start coming. The articles are going to start being written. I'm going to write one of them. Kirby Smart cannot beat Nick Saban and cannot win the big game. And it's always going to be tied to Nick Saban. If he can finally just get rid of that and start moving on with his life and have, okay, that chapter is closed. I beat him once. That's fine. Whatever. I won a national championship in the process. Now people can stop asking me that question. But until he wins that game, Chad, they ain't going to stop. Trey Wallace is with us from Outkick.com. Trey, uh, this past weekend against Michigan, Georgia was able to distribute the football offensively to four different receivers who had more than 50 yards of total offense. Uh, against Bama, it was Brock Bowers, and that was it. How do they continue to spread it around against Bama's defense? And do you think Bowers can repeat the performance that he had against Bama? It was like 140 yards receiving on 10 catches knowing that Bama's going to do a different defensive game plan around him at tight end? 
if Brock Bowers is lined up and Henry Toa Toa is guarding him, I expect Brock Bowers to have a good game. And that's not a knock against Henry Toa Toa. He's just bad in coverage. You know, it, it, it's kind of as simple as that. Um, I'm interested to see what Alabama does in their secondary, see how many they play. Do they play too high in the secondary? Um, do they do they put a spy on, on Brock Bowers and kind of try to take him out of the fold in a, in a sense? You know, I don't know how much George Pickens is going to be involved, you know, in this game, but he could be a decoy. Um, I, I think, look, Alabama secondary is susceptible to, to being beat on the deep ball. Uh, they were rolling with their third and fourth string at time against Cincinnati. And, and I think with what you – the big thing too is, Jonathan, you brought it up, how do they make these plays happen? It's also bringing Cook or Zamir White out of the backfield. You know, we, we saw it twice against Michigan or where they hit him, you know, on that end-around fly down the field, you know, type play and ends up getting 40 to 50 yards. So I, I think that they'll find different ways – to, to get them the ball, especially in space. Because if there's one thing that Alabama is kind of struggling at, it's middle-of-the-field coverage. And Georgia should be able to dink and dive their way down the field with that type of play if they want to and not be test, and not test Alabama deep. So if you want to find Brock, you know, 10, 15 yards across the middle, that should be there because he's faster than Henry Toa Toa. You know Will Anderson's going to be coming after the quarterback, so I expect Bowers to have a good game. And I think when you look at the other receivers and even the running backs and how they get involved, go back and look at how many receptions James Cook had against Michigan. I think it was nine, if I'm not mistaken. If he can get half of that and the other half goes to Samir White, maybe you can start setting Alabama up, you know, bringing them in, bringing them in, and finally take them deep. So I'm very interested to see how they play these running backs over the, the course of this football game and not just the wide receivers, Jonathan. Trey, I want to end on a couple of transfer portal stories I want to ask you about. First, Tennessee decided to do this in sort of a news dump. You know, they they released all three transfers at once to pull the Band-Aid off fast that's leaving the program. The biggest one, most notable, is Tyler Barron, uh, who started the entire season at outside linebacker, was one of Tennessee's better defensive players. He's from Knoxville. His dad is on staff at Tennessee, and he has entered the transfer portal. I guess the question is... Why uh, with Tyler Barron? And, and what did you make of that news? And what does it do to Tennessee's defense? First off, you know, I, I get to the hotel and then all of a sudden my phone starts blowing up from a couple of people. I'm like, all right, what do y'all want? What's going on with Tennessee? Nobody's in there the portal. And then all of a sudden I get three text messages. Hey, you might want to check the portal out. I'm like, okay. Um, and Tyler Barron's in it. Um, I can't, I can't confirm this right now. And I don't know if this is, but I've had a couple of people mention that, that maybe his dad's not really involved in the program much anymore. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm working to confirm that. Um, I had a couple people mention that to me. Um, maybe he is, maybe he's not. Um, but I, I think, you know, the Tyler Barron stuff has been out there yeah, for a it, good it, It's been rumored month, for a while. Month, month and a half. Um, so it, it, it's not a it's not a big shocker because it it's being it's been talked about. I, I think it's a shocker because Tennessee did not need to lose anybody that was a contributor in any way on defense. They couldn't afford to lose any kind of playmaker. So, you know, when you had Byron Young on one side, Tyler Barron on the other, that was a nice little duo. So now you sit here and you're like, okay, Tyler Barron's gone. Where does he end up? It's interesting why he left. And I I, I think once the digging starts happening, I think it'll make sense. 
probably why he left Tennessee. Um, but looking at it right now, that's a hit for Tennessee. And that's a hit for for Tim Banks and what he's trying to do with the defense because now they have to go find another pass rusher. I'm not saying Tyler Perrin put up crazy numbers during his two years at Tennessee, but he was a suitable defensive lineman, an edge rusher. Um, if he was healthy, he was good, and he was on the field. I think there's going to be a little bit more to this story uh, down the road once it comes out on why he left. Um, but I think right now that that's a hit for Tim Banks and them. And um, yeah, they decided to do it right now, along with along with D Beckwith, who never found a role at Tennessee. I, I you know, for a guy that's six foot four, two hundred twenty pounds, and can leap over hurdles and run fast down the field. I just I couldn't figure out why Tennessee could never really find a spot for him on that offense. Trey Wallace, Outkick.com in Indy for the national title game coverage, Alabama and Georgia. Outkick.com for more info there. Trey, we appreciate you. We'll be checking in maybe tomorrow, but for sure on Monday as we gear up for kickoff. Hey, guys, you be safe down in Nashville. I know there's some bad weather down there, so enjoy it with the kids, but uh, – Y'all be safe, and uh, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, Thanks. thank you, man. Trey Wallace, Outkick.com, has been our guest. Armando Salguero will join us in about 40 minutes as we'll preview and discuss the biggest headlines across the NFL. And later in the show, Dan Dockich is a part of the conversation. When we come back, one big thing on every NFL game for Week 18 on Outkick 360. Snow falling in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee is where we're located. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us across the network, including Sports Radio 104.7, the Upper Cumberland in Cookville and Crossville, Fox Sports Shoals, Florence, Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama, and Muscle Shoals, and Fox Sports Knoxville. And we say hello to our friends at Somo Sports Radio. Glad that we are a part of all of the sports discussion in Missouri. For all of you who are listening rather than watching, you're missing a visual of it really coming down where we are. We're looking out a window and seeing uh, what for Nashville qualifies as just a absolute Blizzard. It's it's beautiful to look at. It's not fun to drive in, but it is fun to watch because it looks like we're living in a a, a snow globe right now. It's coming yep. down perfectly outside here in uh, Nashville and Middle Tennessee. And we've got an empty uh, Yeehaw Brewery and uh, Old Smoky Distillery here. We could be having a field day, just going <laughs> out there and having our way with this, like kids in an empty museum. I think if they're will serve as the bartender today. Well, the as well. security footage of us just going to town, yeah, we'll go right to jail. After some we Old go Smoky to town. and Yeehaw that we could play back during the breaks. But have, for those watching on video, they have better great. cameras than Walgreens. Is yeah, that what it'd be better. Than oh no, you could actually see what we were doing in it, which would be funny. Yeah. Because no, Chad, it, this is clearly you. Yeah, the, the, coming up, Chad's the one who stole that. I see Armando Salguero will join us in thirty minutes. Right now, one big thing on every NFL game for Week 18. We start with the Saturday games, and I'll have to move fast here. Chiefs and Broncos at 3:30 on Saturday. Chiefs must win to have a shot at the number one overall seed. A Kansas City win paired with the Titans loss gives the Chiefs the opportunity for the number one overall seed in the bye week. Denver has been shorthanded. They have Drew Locke at quarterback. He's an interception-throwing machine. Dallas is at Philly, 7-15 on Saturday. Uh, several uh, handful of Dallas players are on the COVID list, including Micah Parsons. Mike McCarthy still maintains as of this morning. He's going to play starters, and they are going to try to win the game at Philly. Philly is not going to play their starters. 
which is why you're going to see the line at FanDuel continue to rise. That's the 7-15 game on Saturday night. Chargers and Raiders Sunday night football. Uh, that's the game that has been flexed because it's a win and end scenario. Austin Eckler is the key to the game. If L.A. can continue to get him the football and uh, ride their offensive success through him, they're going to win the game. Eckler scores touchdowns. Uh, if Vegas slows him down, they win the game here. Eckler has six touchdowns on the ground and four more receiving touchdowns through the last seven games. Chargers currently 9-7. and seven. The Raiders, by the way, they have the fewest takeaways in the NFL, and they've been penalized the second most, but penalized the most in penalty yards, over 1,000 yards in penalties for the Las Vegas Raiders this season. Noon Central kickoffs. Steelers and Ravens. NFL history likely to be made in this game. T.J. Watt, he leads the NFL with 21 and a half sacks. The record for the most in a season is 22 and a half by Hall of Famer Michael Strahan. That was set uh, uh, years ago, what, 2001, I believe, was when that record was set. And for those wondering about the extra game, T.J. Watt has missed two games this year, so he'll have the opportunity to break that record and do it in the same time frame that Strahan did. I don't think the Ravens have anything left in the tank. Uh, the Ravens, they've lost five in a row, um, and four of their last five losses have been by a total, a total of five points. But still, count as losses, and they have a very slim chance at the postseason. Bengals are at the Browns. Burrow and Mixon not going to play this game for Cincinnati. Baker Mayfield is out for Cleveland. The Packers on the road in Detroit. Devontae Adams, he has 100 yards receiving over his last two games. Five of his last six. Unsure of how much he's going to play. Unsure of how much Aaron Rodgers is going to play in this. Uh, should be a great day, though, for Green Bay to run the football. Detroit uh, near the bottom of the league in stopping the run. Opposing offenses average 130 yards per game against the Lions' defense. Bears and Vikings, two teams who are likely to participate in Black Monday with their coaching staffs. Colts are at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jonathan Taylor will be the Colts' first NFL rushing champion since Edron James accomplished this in the year 2000. Washington against the Giants. The Giants fired Jason Garrett. Then Daniel Jones got hurt. Uh, he went to IR with a neck injury. And in the five games that have since followed that performance or that injury, they've posted an average of just eight points per game. Join my prayer that it's Mike Glennon's last start in the NFL. Oh, they've already reported that it's going to be uh, from starting the game. Oh, well, join my prayer that it's going to be Mike Glennon's last game as a backup in the NFL. 325 kickoffs. Patriots and Dolphins Sunday. The Dolphins try to sweep the Patriots for the first time since the 2000 season. Uh, the Dolphins, by the way, 39-17 and 17 against New England in South Florida. Jets and the Bills. Buffalo wins the AFC East with a victory. Saints are at the Falcons. The Saints are 8-8 eight and eight, despite having to play four different quarterbacks. And meanwhile, they're trying to end things on a high note for what's been a very up-and-down season in Atlanta. 49ers and Rams may end up being the best game of the weekend. Really close game that decides the NFC playoff picture in the final minutes. At least that's how I see things. They met back in Week 10. The 49ers ran away with it, 31-10. Panthers are at the Buccaneers. Mike Evans needs 54 yards receiving this week to be the first player in NFL history to begin their career with eight seasons of 1,000 yards or more each year. And the Seahawks are taking on the Cardinals. 
Is this Russell Wilson's final game as the starting quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks? That's storyline number one. Uh, Meanwhile, the Cardinals, they're likely headed back on the road next week. Most likely, they are headed back on the road against the Dallas Cowboys. And of course, the other game that we didn't mention, Texans and Titans. We'll give you three keys to that matchup coming up later in today's show. When we come back, though, headlines of the day. And then we'll have a topic about Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame and the path that is laid out for him Maybe not as easy as we would have thought a month ago when all this craziness was going on with the coaching searches. We'll discuss that and much more straight ahead. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hang with us.